When we read the Bible, as we do each week when we gather for worship together, it is important to remember that we are always having a cross-cultural experience. Uh, Didn't plan on this, but that line from the end of the book, so fabulously quite not like you. (laughs) We are encountering a pretty dramatic other when we encounter the texts and the stories and the prayers and the psalms and things in here. From another time, another place, from another language, from whole different systems of values and expectations and implicit understandings, things that we are sure to miss all the time. We just miss things. We read a story, it seems straightforward, and we miss things. Because it's hard to even know, much less be aware of the cultural waters in which we swim and how those differ from the cultural waters in which the folks here swam. And one dramatic difference between our time and place and the time and place of Abram and Sarai of our story this morning is the fact that theirs was a kinship society. Now, I'm no expert on this, but I understand that there were four levels to this kinship structure within society. There was, at the top and most broad and biggest, there was kindred or country. That was Israel in this case, the Hebrew people. Then there were tribes, and then within the tribes there were clans, and then within the clans there was the father's house and land. And survival in a kinship society depended on being at home in one's rightful place within that clearly defined structure. So this story from Genesis, which we breezily referred to as the call of Abram, when Abram was called. This election that he experienced, this chosenness, is something that no one would ever want. Not in a kinship society. The call, as Abram understands it, is to get up and go. To go from his country and kindred, that is explicitly stated, and from his father's house, also explicitly stated. So from the top to the bottom rung of the system in which everyone participated, Abram was just simply to exit stage left, just step out of it, to remove himself completely from the kinship structure, to become what no one ever wanted to be, a sojourner, a resident alien, a foreigner in a foreign land. This call to get up and go does not carry the same sort of gravitas in our willy-nilly transient sort of culture where pretty much anyone can pick up and move pretty much anywhere, pretty much anytime. Now, obviously, there's lots of people who can't do what I just said, and the reality is much more complex than that. But as I look around the room here today, I'm guessing that most of us could pick up and move to Albany, Oregon, or Newton, Kansas, or Goshen, Indiana, without much hardship beyond the relatively minor annoyance of some planning and packing. Now, there was a U-Haul packed at uh, our building last night's 
still at close to 10 o'clock when I went to bed. So I will admit that it is maybe more than a minor annoyance to pack. Oh, I hate packing. Uh, But that said, most of us could pick up and go. Not to say it would be easy or painless or not have any work associated with it, but we could do it. In a kinship society like Abram and Sarai's, to get up and go meant walking away from all security. So for us, even though in the story it says they took their possessions with them, which did include human beings, you may have heard that nasty detail in the story. So even though they got to take a lot of things with them, for us, the equivalent experience would be something more like picking up and moving but leaving everything behind. Our possessions, yes, to be sure, but also our retirement savings, our HSAs, our equity, uh, the contents of all of our savings and checkings accounts. Also, I think we'd probably have to leave behind our health insurance. Um, We'd have to leave behind the ability to communicate in our first language. Uh, I'd have to leave behind all tech, including computers and tablets and phones, because as long as you've got your phone, you are connected with all sorts of people and resources and networks that help provide you some sense of security. So now imagine leaving all of that behind. For us, Abram's get up and go would mean having nothing and no one, being cut off and utterly vulnerable and completely dependent. Now there are some obvious echoes here with Jesus' later calls to his disciples. I hear these as I'm entering into this story and trying to understand the context a little bit more. I hear these echoes of take up your cross and follow me. I hear let the dead bury their own dead. I hear whoever doesn't leave their family cannot be my disciple. So those echoes are there. So what is up with that? What is up with this call to leave all security behind? Other than my infancy, which I do not recall, the most vulnerable and dependent season of my life was a year of living with debilitating back pain. And I don't, I couldn't, I didn't do a lot of searching. I can't remember. I talk about this story freely. If I have talked about this in a sermon before, I apologize. I'm about to go over ground that you've already heard before. It's a whole saga that, um, frankly, I don't entirely understand still. And I'm going to spare you most of the details, but I want to assure you that it was awful. It was a really awful year. It's small, small beans compared to what a lot of people experience in terms of physical challenges. And so I am very much aware of that, and it was awful nonetheless. And I can talk a really good game about vulnerability. I can talk a really good game about its importance for experiencing genuine community, about the gifts that it offers us and those with whom we're in relationship, But honestly, I mostly experience elective vulnerability. I pick, I pick how much vulnerability I want to share, and when, and where, and with whom. So mostly I stay in control of where I reveal my vulnerabilities, which is, of course, 
not vulnerability, <laughs> right? <laughs> like completely not vulnerability. True vulnerability over which we do not have control. Uh, I'm just going to say this from the pulpit. It straight up sucks. Yeah, it might prove a good thing in the long run. And it might even prove to have been a gift when you're far enough past it to look back and tell the story of it. But it's pretty much misery in the midst of it. And in the midst of that vulnerability for Abram and Sarai, because they have just exited the kinship structures of their society. So they're now complete vulnerability, completely out in the open. And in the midst of that vulnerability for them, they receive promises from God. Promises of descendants, land, and blessing, all of which seem completely impossible, given what they know of themselves and their circumstances. And none of those promises are immediately granted, and none of them are fully realized, even at the time of their deaths. All the land that Abram owned at the end, at the time of his death, was a burial plot for Sarah. Gee, thanks, God. (laughs) So we again see, as we did last week, that the biblical narrative, it's not sanitized in a happily ever after sort of way. It's real, and it's truer to our experience, even across time and place and language and culture. So even though we're having this cross-cultural experience with this text, There's a way in which it's truer to our experience across all that stuff than we may sometimes think. Abram wasn't a biblical hero. He wasn't a patriarch. He wasn't a father of faiths. He was just a man trying his best to make sense of life and faith in God in the midst of a harrowing and confusing world. As Karen Armstrong writes... The biblical authors make it clear that it is very difficult to live in God's presence in this perplexing and tragic world. They would be rather surprised by the familiarity that some worshipers today claim to have achieved with God. Like many of us, Abraham lived in a violent, dangerous society. He had to wait in the dark, contending with peril, doubt, and loss. Faith was neither easy, comforting, nor life-enhancing. The divine did not reveal itself to Abraham in lucid, incontrovertible apparitions or in clearly defined doctrines. Abraham had a constant struggle to make sense of his circumstances, catching at best glimpses of the sacred that sometimes seemed baffling and even hostile. So now I imagine the communities that told this story to one another the story of Abram and Sarai and receiving the call and journeying on by stages. I imagine those communities that told this story about how Abram and Sarai exited the kinship structure altogether because they sensed God's call to do so. As I imagine these communities telling the story of Abram and Sarai's extreme experience of vulnerability and in the midst of that, the experience of God's promises, even though those promises were not immediately fulfilled. And I imagine those communities telling the story over and over again and passing it down through the generations and eventually writing it down. And I imagine those communities, I imagine that they must have known what it was to feel 
extreme instability. That must have been a true experience for them. They must have known vulnerability. They must have known something of complete dependence. Sojourning through a land, not one's own among a people, not one's own. And yet, those communities that told these stories over and over again, passed them down, eventually wrote them down, and yet, those communities must have somehow also experienced, in the midst of all of that, all of that fish-out-of-water stuff, to have also experienced God's promise, presence, call, however unrealized, or realized only very slowly and only in part. This section of the story that probably in your Bibles says the call of Abram that we heard this morning. Of course, Abram's and Sarai's story goes on. But this section concludes with that beautiful line, and Abram and Sarai with him journeyed on by stages toward the Negev, Negev Desert. So, may knowing this, may knowing that this fits and starts journey of faith is as old as time. May that knowledge be a consolation to we who also journey slowly in fits and starts by stages, seeking as best we can to understand who God is, who God is calling us to be. May that be a consolation to us. May it be so.